So we continue our series from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verses 19 through 26. But especially verse 21, where Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is loss, gain. So this is, this is uniquely Christian. Nobody else can say that. Because even those who are really depressed and say, I just want to get rid of my life, they might see it as gain, but it's really not gain. It's not the gain Paul is speaking about here. So Philippians 1, verses 19 through 26. Recall how Apostle Paul, in the last section that we saw from verses 12 through 18, talks about how the gospel was advancing in spite of his imprisonment and through his imprisonment. And you see his blessing on the unbelievers around him. Uh, You see his blessing on the church, how the gospel advanced. And even his critics who were jealous of him, they just preached Christ all the more. And now he says... And for me, whether I live or die, I I belong to Christ either way. Life is life, and life continues, even through death and beyond death. But Philippians 1, verses 19 through 26. Let's hear God's word. For I know, says Paul, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what shall I choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you. So those words in verse 20, the last part of verse 20, 21, it's our focus this morning. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Think about why the Apostle Paul is in prison, and why many believers are in prison today. Paul's not there because he committed a crime. It's because he was preaching Christ. Right. If I understood that correctly? Okay. Amen to that. So, Paul is not sure if he's going to be coming out of prison. He just doesn't know. I mean, will he be acquitted? Will he be released? Or will he be put to death? It could very well be that he might be executed. I mean, this could be an immediate thing before him that he could be put to death. He just doesn't know, but he knows, one knows, 
And that's God. God knows because Paul's life is in God's hands. Either way, he says, Christ will be magnified whether by life or by death. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul didn't struggle, right? He probably had many worries and struggles in his heart, but ultimately he says, whether by life or by death, Christ will be magnified. Now, think about it, boys and girls. If you had visited Apostle Paul in prison, suppose you asked him a question, and you said, so Paul, what do you choose? What do you choose? What would you choose? Would you choose to live or to die? You know what his answer would be? I just don't know. I mean, thinking about it, he's in the immediate circumstance of facing, facing possible execution. He's, I just don't know. I'm, I'm really torn between the two. Yeah, to live? Yeah, then I can continue to serve the gospel among you, he says, and see the growth and the progress of the gospel among you. But he says, on the other hand, if I die, it's much better. It's far better. So he, he's conflicted within himself what he should do and, and how he should think. But either way, he says, uh, it's fine with me. Either way, it's up to the Lord. And you think about it, you think about the culture in which we live today, it just sounds so strange to our ears. Paul, not afraid to die. Sometimes I think we become afraid to die because we think, how are we going to die? But Paul, when it comes to the assurance of his faith, he's not afraid, is he? He has Christ either way. Christ who is king, Christ who is Lord, Christ who has him in his hands, Christ before him, Christ behind him, Christ beside him, Christ within him, Christ the ruler and Lord over all, Christ the gracious one, the loving one. For to me to live is Christ, he says, but to die and to die is gain. And you know, I think something that we can get from all of this this morning is, is Christ is the believer's joy. The joy of believers is what? What is the joy of believers? The joy that you do not see in the world is the joy of belonging to Jesus. That's, that's the joy. And you think, well, Paul had joy, yeah, but look at his circumstances. Hard, struggling circumstances that he was in. And yet he says, and these are two points this morning. First of all, he says, Christ will be magnified in my life or Christ will be magnified in my death either way Christ will be magnified what does it mean first of all Christ is magnified by my life the word magnify comes from the word great right? or mega maybe you heard the word mega well the word magnify comes from that word mega so how does Christ become great? Or how does he become mega in my life as a believer? After all, I mean, how can a mere human being, a sinful one, right, who battles against sin, how can it be that he can magnify the Son of God, 
Think what a magnifying glass does, right? It makes something bigger. <clears throat> or someone put it this way. He uses the illustration of a telescope. What do you use a telescope for? You use a telescope to look at the stars, the stars that are so far, 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 far away. Now those, those stars are distant. What does a telescope do? It brings those stars so close to us so that you can see their greatness and their beauty. So it is with the Son of God. When people see Him magnifying Himself in our lives, they see Him so much closer. They see His greatness. They see His grace. They see His glory. They see His love. So how is it that Christ is magnified by my life? Don't think of your own life because in and of ourselves it's full of death. It stinks. In and of ourselves, it stinks in the world around us. How is it then that Christ magnifies himself by our life? Well, it only happens in one way. By faith. By faith, what happens? He unites himself to us and his death and resurrection becomes real to our lives. The dying away to sin. The dying away to ourselves. We need to get rid of ourselves. <laughs> That's the problem. Ourself is the problem. <laughs> we need to die to it. And the more we die to it, the bigger Christ becomes in our life. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You know, what we see around us and in us, in and of ourselves, is, is the direct opposite, isn't it? It's not life. It's death. You know, man is born, men, women, children, were born sinners in the state of condemnation. Death is not natural. The world says it's natural, but it's not natural. Death came into the world. Why? It came into the world when sin entered the world. When sin entered the world, that's when death came into the world. Genesis chapter 3. And so by nature, man lives in darkness. He's lost. He gives himself to rebelling against the Creator. That's our identity, isn't it? That's our identity in Adam, in our father of the human race. And because our relationship with God is broken in Adam, there is no life. Oh, there's lots of tinsels and lots of glittering and showy things. But in and of myself, there's only the stink of death and sin. And outside in the world, it's only the stink of death. And you know what man does today? He substitutes, because he rejected God, he substitutes the life that he had with God, that he formerly had with God in the garden, and he replaces it with something else. What he thinks is life. And you see, man's life is hollow and empty. Just as hollow and empty as the idols that he serves. And so, it's like this. In our world today, and we struggle with this too, for to me to live is money. 
And to die is to leave it all behind. Any hope in that? No. Or for me to live is fame, and to die is to be forgotten. No hope in that. Or for me to live is power, and to die is to lose it all. That narrative is so opposite of what you hear the Apostle Paul. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's where the joy for believers comes. It only comes from Christ. For me to live is Christ. And to, to die is gain. You know where we're going to find life? Not in ourselves. Not in our families. Not in our jobs, not in the things we do, not in the world. We can enjoy those things that God's given us in the world, but we'll never find our life there. Life can only be found outside of ourselves, or as we heard yesterday, outside of the box. It can only be found in the one whom God in his grace and love sent, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang that song, right? The love of God is deeper than the deepest hatred in our lives. That's that's what we need. The life that comes through God in Jesus Christ. And you see God in his sovereign love and mercy sending his son into the world to do what? To give back the life that we turned away from in the first place and then still reject it. It's only by the amazing grace of God that we can receive that life. How do we get it? Know this. Christ lived the perfectly obedient life to God for us in our place. It's a life we must live, but we can't live. And he paid the full price to God for our sin through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. A price we must pay, but we cannot pay. And so, God, what does he do? He's the one who accepted Christ's work in our place. How did he do that? By raising him to life. By breaking forth from the dreadful, terrorized tomb, grave, and raising him to life on the third day. You know, this is not a fairy tale. This is not just some sort of Christian story. All the other religious books in the world have their stories. Those are fairy tales. This is reality. This is historical. This really happened. And God validates what he did in Christ and his word. He died and he rose again from the dead to give new life, real life, the only life whereby we can have that joy in Christ. Christ took my death. Christ took my sentence. Christ took my condemnation. And in exchange, what does he give? He takes my death. Only death inside of me. Right? He takes it in exchange. He gives me his life. What Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection, what does he do now? He now applies by his spirit to all who trust on Jesus. You know, there's a double dying and a double resurrection here. There's a spiritual dying and rising, 
but there's also a physical dying and a physical resurrection. You see that both here in this passage here. But we'll look at the first one. Both are really by the power of Christ in us. First one is spiritual, what happens inside of us. What is that? Well, on the basis of what Christ did for us in his death and resurrection, through faith in him, we too begin to die away to ourselves and come to life, the life of the new of the new self in Christ. For me to live is Christ. He becomes more and more in our lives. You know, this explains Paul's joy in spite of all his unhappy circumstances. Suffering, you think about suffering and pain, those are real. Those are realities that come to every believer. Suffering, pain, temptations, And even Apostle Paul, don't you think he faced strong pressure to reject Jesus? If he could just reject Jesus and promise not to preach anymore, he would be set free. That's why he was in prison for preaching the gospel. But he knows what it was like to be on the other side. He used to be on the other side, Paul. But he's no longer there. What did he do? He persecuted Christ. He persecuted his followers. He, be, he breathed threats on them. He arrested them. He dragged them off to prison, consenting to their being murdered. And all the while he thought that he was doing God a service. He thought himself as a good man. He was zealous in keeping the law. He was a good man, a good Pharisee, a good person in the sight of the Jews. That's what we read in Philippians 3, 5 through 6. Do you know what? He had no life. All the law keeping, all our works, all our prayers can do nothing because we need Christ. We need a person to change us. And yet, you see, by the grace of God, what happened? God subdued, Christ subdued Paul. And what happened? Paul died to that old, empty way of thinking. And he was raised to a new life in Christ. Christ then began to be magnified by Paul's life. The power of Christ's death and resurrection was at work in his life. That's the difference. It wasn't his work. (laughs) That work is not in us. That work comes from Christ. He's the one who brings that change in our lives. Our works don't bring life. Nothing we can do can bring this life. Only the person and work of Christ can bring that. You notice what Paul says in his testimony later in Philippians 3? He says, What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, and having my own righteousness. But that which is not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You know, Paul could truly say Christ was his life. Again, you know, we know believers suffer. Believers go through pain, much pain, in many forms. They face suffering during 
enduring hardships, big temptations in our lives, big battles. You know, that continues till the end of our life, even for believers on earth. You know, yesterday we heard about metamorphoses that change. The dying to the old and the coming to life of the new is a painful process in the life of the believer. It is. Uh, the dying away to the old self and how the Lord uses suffering and pain so that more and more Christ can be magnified in us. Suffering does not come from Satan. Suffering does not come from Satan. God uses suffering. God uses painful experiences. God uses difficult temptations in order to bring out, in order to magnify Christ in us more and more and more. Isn't that what the death and resurrection of Christ in us is all about? It's a dying away to our old self and the coming to life of the new. Apostle Paul acknowledges us that. He says, a little later, actually in, in, Galatians 3, in Galatians 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Is crucifixion painful? It's painful. And when you say you're crucified to Christ, that means we need to be prepared for all kinds of suffering, all kinds of hardships, enduring. Especially if we pray, Christ, may you be magnified in my life. We're, we're, we're praying for God to, to use the the uh, to, to, to hone us, to work on us. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yeah, death to self. Life to Christ. He says, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know what? The Christian will always have the temptations. The world, the devil already has the world. The devil already has the world in his hands. But Christians, we understand that, don't we? As Christians, Satan tempts us. He nags at you. He doesn't want you to grow in that life of Christ. He doesn't want you to say, for me to live as Christ. He tries to take you away. He tries to hurt you. He tries to tear you away from the bond and from the relationship of God in Christ. He tries to trip you. Sometimes he seems to succeed. He trips us. We fall. But can he ever reverse Christ's work in your life? Never. For him to reverse Christ's work in your life means that he has to be able to reverse the work of Christ. Can Christ ever go back to unresurrecting himself and not dying, this is an accomplished fact in history. We live among defeated enemies. Even Satan is a defeated foe. And so we can trust in Christ. And he will magnify himself more and more in the life of believers. That's joy, Paul says. For Paul, those things that had been center in his life now faded into insignificance, and Christ was taking more and more the center of his life. You know, for the believer, all of life revolves around the center. 
What's the center? Christ. It revolves around in raising your children. By the way, that's really important. That we nurture our children, not first of all for an education. Oh, that's important. Not first of all to get all the things in life. That may be nice. But first of all, that they may be nurtured and seeing that Christ is also magnified in their lives. He's the center, isn't he? So yeah, that he may be the center and as we raise our children for the glory of Christ, he may be the center in our work. He may be the center in our relationships. He may be the center in our weekdays. He may be the center of our Sundays. For to me to live is Christ. And then Paul says, well, when you have that, then death is seen as gain. Death is never a loss for a Christian. Certain sense there's a loss. There's a loss to those whom we leave behind. The Apostle Paul here, though, is speaking about the fact that in his relationship to Christ, nothing is taken away when he dies. As a matter of fact, there's more. There's more of Christ that he has. And that brings us to our second point, how Christ is magnified by my death. How's death again? Not only, I mean, you think about what Christ does. He's the only one who provides death benefits. You know, we look at our insurance companies, they, there's all kinds of benefits, but there are no death benefits. Well, I suppose death benefits are for those whom we leave behind. But death benefits for the person that dies. Christ is the only one who gives those benefits. Benefits that come to a believer when he dies or after he dies. What does death give? What does death gain? More of Christ. How is Christ magnified? Well, first of all, Christ is magnified in this way. The believer enters glory. On what basis? Because what Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection. Imagine this, or not imagine, but realize this. From the beginning of your life, in Christ, to the very end, you see God keeping his promise. He will complete what he has begun in us. And so, at the time of the death of a believer, you see that that death now becomes a jewel and the crown of Christ. A crown that he obtained through his hard-fought battle against Satan and overcoming Satan through his death and resurrection. You know, there are people who say today that there is no life after death. Might they be right? No. No. There is life after death. When people say there's no life after death, what do they reveal? Their own ignorance, their own unbelief, and their own rebellion against God. They're not believing in reality. The awful truth is that they must face God when they die. There is no escape for them from God's wrath. No escape. Death is the punishment for them. Eternal death and hell. There is no gain for them. For those who do not trust in Christ, 
There's no gain, but only eternal pain forever and ever, eternal loss. But Paul's not talking about that here. What he's talking about is his testimony. And what a powerful testimony this is before the world, isn't it? For the Christian, for the Christian, you see the power of Christ dying and rising in us through faith in him. We saw that, but there's also the, the promise that there is the, uh, the, the physical dying, but also the physical resurrection. So it's not only a spiritual death and resurrection, but also a physical death. In order for us to be raised complete and new, we need to die physically. To die is gain, says Scripture. Paul here is speaking of physically dying. That's what he means here by death. And you know what, for the believer, we should never see that death is a payment for sin. Death is not a payment for sin for the believer. It's not a punishment. For the unbeliever, it's a punishment. But for the believer, who took the punishment? Christ did. He bore the punishment for all our sins. And he even took the penalty upon himself. Death. He secured the payment for our sins on the cross fully. And he took the punishment for our sin entirely. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 2? That Christ destroyed him who had the power of death. Who had the power of death? Satan. The devil. You know, our death, what does it do? Our death puts an end to our sinning. It marks really the entrance into eternal life, into the very presence and the loving embrace of Christ's arms. Always think of Stephen when he's being stoned and pelted with stones. Who was there ready to receive him? Christ. Ready to receive him into the new creation. And you think there's, I mean, there's suffering now, but there, there'll be joy without suffering, joy without sadness, joy without tears. No more battles. Battles are done. Now there's rest. Now there's feasting. I mean, you can imagine why Paul is, you know, do I want to continue fighting? (laughs) I, I would just love to be able to depart now and be with Christ. True, we wait for the resurrection of our bodies. But think about it. The scripture really teaches very clearly that even though we wait for the resurrection of our bodies, when we die, we go immediately into the presence of Christ. And it's a conscious fellowship. It's very clear that there is a conscious fellowship that believers have with Christ Christ immediately after death. You know, it's a false teaching that says, well, we're unconscious until our bodies are raised. That's not according to the scriptures. Paul, otherwise, how could it be gained? Paul says here, it's far better to be with Christ. It's gain. There's conscious fellowship with Christ. No wonder Paul's in a quandary. What should I choose? What's better? To die or to remain? He says in verse 23, he has a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. At the same time, he realizes that the Philippian church may still need him. He would love to see their progress. He would love to see them grow in their joy of faith. 
But either way, he says, either way, it's in service to Christ, whether I live or die. And think about for us today, as long as God gives you life, you may have life into your 90s. But even have you have your life into your 90s, God has a purpose for you in your life. He wants to magnify himself in your life. When it's time for us to depart, God will do that in his way, in his time. In spite of what our society says, we have no right to take away the life of any person, even in their 80s and 90s, even if they're suffering. We have no right to take away their life because even in that, especially, or say, in believers, Christ is still magnifying himself in their life. We might not always see it. We might not always understand it. But the Lord uses it to convert nurses, to convert doctors, to convert unbelieving family members. It's always up to God, his plan. May Christ be magnified by our life. Even as we live to 80 years old and 90 years old, even if we're crippled in a wheelchair, even if we can't talk anymore, God has a purpose. He wants Christ to be magnified, exalted. We have to steer clear of the narrative of the world, which is unbelieving, which is rebellious against God. But Christ will be magnified by Paul's death in another way. Paul says, you know, if I die as a martyr, the gospel could just go on fire. The gospel could just spread like crazy. And the spread of the gospel. Think about how often at a funeral of a believer, of a Christian, you hear, this was a great opportunity to preach the gospel, to proclaim Christ to the people. It was a way for perhaps unbelievers in the family or relatives or maybe neighbors and friends to come and hear. Christ exalts himself. Christ magnifies himself, even at the death of a believer. And he does so through the gospel. For Paul, he knows if he's not acquitted at his trial, if he's not released, he would die as a martyr. And his death would be a gain for the spreading of the gospel. God uses that too. It's not a waste of life. I'll give you an example from that. You may have heard of the story of the Alca, the Alca tribe in Ecuador. It was in 1956. You can read about it in the Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband was one of the missionaries who went there. But in 1956, five young men were sent to the Alca tribe in the country of Ecuador for this purpose, to simply share the gospel of Christ, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people who had never, ever heard of him before. They were in their late 20s, early 30s, and when they arrived, what happened? The Alka people took their spears and killed them, and they were dead immediately. Speared to death. And you think, wasn't that a wasted life? And they left behind their wives? And some of them had children? And yet, what happened? How did Christ magnify himself in their death? 
Think of the ways that Christ can do that. What happened here is their wives, who are now widows, all five of them, went to the Elka people. And what happened? Within a short amount of time, those killers were converted to Christ. And on their blood, Christ built this church. As a matter of fact, not really their blood, but ultimately the blood of Christ. And you see here, too, how God in Christ magnified himself in their death. May Christ also be magnified in our lives. That's, it's his work. Even in the midst of our battles, in the midst of our suffering and pain, may we, like Paul, pray that God be magnified in us, whether by life or by death. And when we pray that, we too will begin to magnify him, exalt him for his glory, his love, his grace. Revelation 5 talks about us joining in 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and honor and strength and wisdom and glory and blessing. So let's crown him. Crown him with many crowns with our lives. For me to live as Christ and die as gain, to him be the glory forever and ever.